Welcome everybody to an episode of Beam Over Easy. Andy Little here with my co-host Drew Calno. Hey, good day. With our special guest, Natal Battaglioli, or the Bat Doc. Bat Doc. Um, back again talking about another episode within inclusion. We are here at Cord 2020 in New York City, the city that never sleeps. Don't get me started on New York City. But Andy, real quick, before we go on to have an awesome conversation with Bat Doc, want to remind our listeners about a couple of things. Be sure to check out our website, emovereasy.com. We have a chance to sign up for our new newsletter that Tanner is curating. Awesome bits of information about us, and uh, we're going to add on to that with some favorite episodes and some other things going on. We have two awesome medical students writing blog posts for us, so there's more information there. If you haven't checked out our website recently and you're just uh, catching our episodes that are pushing you on iTunes or Stitcher or Twitter, check us out. Lots of good information. It's perfect. All right, back to the regularly scheduled episode. Yeah, that was our, that's our little personal infomercial now that we're putting in front of the episode. So, Nicole, we, one, we appreciate you coming back. Your Thank episode you. that we talked about last time was awesome. Thank um, you. It was one of those where, again, I think we, we conveyed it at the time, everybody thinks they're inclusive until they actually think about it. And we all realize that even with the people with best intentions, find a way to exclude people. And so I really appreciate the episode that, that you have with us, and we got a ton of positive feedback from folks that listened, that that's how they kind of felt. So today we're back to talk a little bit deeper dive into parts of inclusion. So what do you have for us today? So today's deep dive, we're going to be getting into microaggressions. This is a term, this is a concept that's gotten a little more popular, you know, to talk about over the last couple of years. And like you said, like, Everyone wants to think that they're being inclusive, but sometimes there are just, you know, small acts that aren't so inclusive. Little things that we do, little comments we make that we don't really understand how it affects the other person. And so that's getting us into the realm that we're going to talk about today, which is microaggressions. I feel like that's our entire relationship, Andy, is I have multiple microaggressions against you. You somehow forgive me and we're still friends. It's pretty accurate for those that are listening. But but now that our relationship is changing, those microaggressions might become macroaggressions. I'm not sure I can contain myself anymore. I think many of my friendships are largely based on various degrees of micro and macroaggressions. But what we're talking about is more of those sort of microaggressions that get out into the workplace and kind of affect, you know, the professional workplace environment. Yeah, and, and as, as I was reading the outline you put together, it was, again, one of those where I think we all believe we're pretty good at this stuff. But as I was reading the definitions of each one of the things we're going to go over, I was like, oops, done that. Oops, done that. And it's one of those where when you actually take time to reflect, this is something that even the best people can take time to think about how they can act better in in the public and even in private to make sure that this is not how they're perceived by other people. Definitely. So a few different ways that I want to break this down today. And I got this from Ushe Blackstock, who's just a really prominent figure in this space. She's an emergency medicine trained doctor that's gone off to to really kind of build a brand and like build expertise in this area. And you can kind of think of it, there are three major areas of these microaggressions. You have micro insults. So these are behavioral or verbal remarks, comments that are a little bit rude, uh, culturally insensitive maybe remarking about, you know, someone's identity or heritage. And I will bring up that all the examples that I'm going to use in today's podcast are actually examples, real life examples that I got um, when I asked for feedback or, you know, asked for personal experience from folks on this. 
So an example of a micro insult might be someone of, let's say, a, um, you know, a, a South American or Latin heritage, and they come into work wearing a, a bright yellow dress. You know, they just own this really beautiful yellow dress, and they go into work, and someone says, you know, wow, that dress sure is Mexican. When we hear that, and we think, ooh, wow. That stings. So, you know, micro insults, these are kind of these like comments that maybe we really didn't think through thoroughly. And they come out as being just culturally insensitive or just insensitive to someone's identity. And I think too many times the per- the people that this happened to, they almost try to make a joke of it to mm-hmm. ease the tension. And mm-hmm. then it like makes us feel somewhat okay with saying it when it wasn't okay to say with to begin mm-hmm. with. Yeah. Yeah. So the next sort of section is, is micro invalidations. So these are comments or behaviors that sort of negate the psychological feelings or thoughts of another person or questions the reality of another person. So, you know, you're sitting in a meeting and you say, you know, I think that that this plan that we're about to enact is, is maybe not like culturally inclusive or you know, maybe this puts women in an odd position and one of your colleagues says, oh, no, you're just overthinking that. Or that you're just being a little too emotional. So these are kind of comments that invalidate feelings that you have or thoughts that you're trying to express. Probably a good example of micro-invalidations is the tribalism we experience in medicine when we talk to a consultant and express some of our ideas and they invalidate in a lot of ways, what our concerns are. Uh, tell us why we're wrong, even though our concerns are very well-founded, or vice versa. It's uh, We certainly do that to other specialties, too. It's not just all at, at emergency medicine. Now, culturally, there's a lot of ways that can happen, but I think that's a good way to frame that. You call somebody, you think you have an issue, and they immediately invalidate why you think that issue exists, which mm-hmm. is not the right way to go about patient and, care. Yeah, and I think and sometimes this is maybe added to by the fact we add those little one-liners like, I mean, right now the big thing's okay, boomer. When you make fun of when, when you infer it on old people, or when we were residents, I'm sure I have never uh, said okay, boomer. I've never said it. I've heard you it just said it. I've said it on the podcast, but never said it to a person intentionally. But I don't even, even know what that was. Holy cow! You know what okay, boomer you is? So microaggressive. It's not even funny. I'm not gonna lie. I've never heard that either. But now I'm gonna be on the lookout for it. Watch so thank you for, okay, for thank yeah. you for opening my eyes. If you work with young kids like I do with my church youth group, they it's all the time. You they give, call you Boomer? Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Are the residents calling me Boomer behind my back? Ah, oh, son of a gun. <laughs> so, uh, or even something like, I don't know if it, I remember being on surgery and there, a, a female medical student was on our group and she had a, an opinion and the general surgeon was like, now, little lady, I know that you think that, you know, you've read a book, but I've been doing this for a long time. And they just add that little one-liner just that, that little just like, takes it a little too far, they're a little unnecessary. So yeah. I think this has been happening a lot more common than we think it would mm-hmm. if we actually pay attention to it. So. And they describe microaggressions as like dying by a thousand cuts, right? These are all kind of small acts. But over time, you know, if you experience this day in and day out, and every consult you call, you feel like your concerns are being invalidated or that your opinion is, I mean, you can imagine how this would really profoundly impact somebody over time. So though you may think that this is just one small comment, you can evaluate that globally in terms of this might be this might be the comment that breaks the, the camel's back, so to speak. Yeah. 
Yeah, and puts them over the edge or makes them feel like their entire existence or everything that they've been working for is invalidated. Um, yeah, so it's important to remember to watch out for these. So the last basket kind of escalates things a little bit, and it's called micro assaults. And these are just a little more serious, you know, but they're conscious, explicit, derogatory characterizations or name calling, uh, a little more conscious, focused attacks. Um, and these are probably the aggressions that we're apt to more easily see. Right? Obviously, it's not okay to openly call someone a derogatory name, even though this this still happens this day and age. But that's sort of the last basket of, you know, aggressions is just this sort of blatant name calling or or very conscious focused attack. Yeah, it's a much more obvious attack, right? The, the first two are subtle and maybe you don't even pick up on them or it maybe for some people they actually seem okay that they're not truly microaggressions, though they are. But this last one is is pushing the macro level a little bit more. Agreed. So I know you have some cases we're going to work through. So why don't we start with the first one? So again, all of these examples and cases are real life examples of things that happen. And I just want to talk through some of these to just kind of brainstorm, like, how would you react? If you witness a situation like this, what can you do? And like what the potential impact of some of these situations are. So the first case is about Sam. Sam is a fictitious name. But Sam's a PGY2 emergency medicine resident, and he's sitting on the desk. And he's sitting at the desk outside of a patient room. So a few moments later, a consultant from another specialty comes out of the room, goes up to Sam and says, hey, a uh, patient in there is like eating food and like made a huge mess everywhere. Do you think you can go in and clean it up? Walks away. So let's expand this example by saying that Sam is a person of color, is wearing the same color scrubs uh, that the cleaning janitorial staff typically wear, but has a badge that says Dr. Sam you know, is wearing a stethoscope, but is again approached by this consultant and is obviously being mistaken for a member of the janitorial staff. It's tough. It's tough because there's um, implicit bias that goes both ways in this situation, right? Uh, On one hand, the consultant truly may mean nothing at all by it. Innocent mistake why are you sitting at the computer outside a patient's room? That's not a physician workspace. That's a, a other staff workspace. You're wearing colors of somebody else. I didn't look at you close enough to identify you as wearing a physician badge or having a stethoscope on. It really was just a, there's a mess in there. The opposite of that is it can be much more intentioned, whether consciously or not, uh, to the, the insult that just occurred. And then the real question becomes, as as Sam, and I think we've all been in that situation, even though maybe we don't have the same characteristics that Sam does, where you go, how do you respond to that? Mm -hmm. Because the easy thing is to be like, oh, yeah, okay, no problem. Take care of it. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's that's way not Sam's job. Yeah. And it is in some ways insulting to have been even asked, even though I think all of us in emergency medicine believe that we can pitch in and help out in any any task Mm -hmm. necessary. I am... uh, excellent at delivering ice cold water to patients upon request. Um, 
Same. easy to do. I'm a blanket master. Yes. I'm really good with the warm blankets. But I think at the same time, this is the opportunity for Sam and other those that are in the situation to feel empowered to say, I have no problem contacting uh, what janitorial services to take care of that for you if you'd like. And maybe have that be the first comment. And then if there's a, a conversation, he can then introduce himself as, I am Sam. I'm the PGY2. I'm resident on the service. I'm sorry that you thought I was a janitorial person. But like, I think that that's probably the bigger issue is people feel afraid to do that. And I think that I've even had a similar situation where I felt uncomfortable doing it, but I did it. And then knowing I was going to see that consultant again, because mm-hmm. this is probably not going to be Sam's last interaction with that person. Mm-hmm. Sure. And he doesn't want that for him to be known as the janitor guy. Yeah, like I you, agree. Need, you need to feel empowered to be like, look, this is who I am. These are my credentials. I have no problem assisting you, but this is who I am. Me being the snarky, passive-aggressive person I am, I would probably respond something along the ways of, yeah, absolutely, I have no problem taking care of that. But since I wanted to talk to you about patient care, do you mind telling me what your plan is for the patient you just saw since I'm taking care of them here in the ED? Mm, I like that. That would probably be my style as well. But the case of Sam brings up a few points that I just want to reflect on. One being, think about what the impact to Sam from the situation is. And if this has occurred, it's unlikely that this is the first time that Sam has encountered a situation just like this. And just sort of the like erosion of morale that can happen if you feel like you you spent all this time in school and you're in training, um, but people are failing to sort of acknowledge you for what you are and are letting their unconscious bias get in the way of, of, you know, a professional interaction that you could be having. It also reminds us to, everybody has unconscious bias. That's why it's unconscious. It's it's the parts of ourselves that we're not fully aware of and enabled to enact change. And so it's an opportunity to reflect on what are my unconscious biases and how does that play out in my professional world. I totally agree with you, Andy. You know, this is an opportunity for Sam to feel empowered or if we're the attending or maybe we're somebody that witnesses this, like really helping Sam feel empowered to to bring it up in a professional way, in a polite way by saying something like, you know, I I noticed that um, it seems like maybe you've mistaken me for somebody who's a part of the janitorial staff. Just want to introduce myself. Maybe we haven't met. You know, I'm Sam. Um you know, just really empowering them to speak up when they encounter these situations to just bring some awareness to, you know, the other person and, and hopefully make the next interaction better. Yeah. And, and I think the key there is, is to not get, you know, I, I love the snark. If you've ever seen Drew snark, it's actually magnificent to watch, but maybe not. Thank but, you. But they're snarky and there's angry. And I think that you can be snarky, but don't be angry and make a scene. Be like, look, we didn't even have a professional talk where you understand who I am and what my role is so we can work better together in the future. But don't like overboard it because then you still have to work with that person. And sure. they might just, rather than take you for what you are and use you as a tool in the future, they might just ignore you. So I think it's important to have, find that balance of mm-hmm. inform. Absolutely. The yeah. question I have, and this takes us down a little bit of a pathway beyond maybe what the talk is solely about, but how do you really empower somebody to do that? Because if you're sitting in Sam's shoes, you've just now been put on your heels. Right, you, somebody walks out of the room. They mistake you for you know, the janitorial staff or another position that isn't yours. There's no way to not have a little bit of insult or just to feel like the thumb has been put on you a little bit. And now what we're saying is the the correct response to that, which I agree, the correct response to that is to take the opportunity to assert yourself a little bit and put yourself out there. But 
you just got put on your heels and now we're asking somebody to respond by being on their toes. And that's a very difficult thing for somebody to do, particularly somebody who is training and maybe hasn't worked out that, that MO yet to be able to do it. Or somebody who's been put on their heels multiple times where they're, they're having increased difficulty finding the momentum to turn around and, and fight for who they are. A great recommendation that I was taught and advice that I was given is to always approach these situations with an open-ended question. Instead of bringing defensiveness to the table, instead of sort of accusing the person of doing X, Y, Z, there are a set, uh, there's a set of open-ended questions that you can use to probe the situation further and give that other person an opportunity to reflect, respond, and potentially make up for the situation. You could ask, what did you mean by that comment? Or can you explain further what that, what you mean by that? I'm not really sure. You can sort of comment or reflect upon the, you could also communicate to the person, you know, when you say X, it makes me feel Y and sort of illuminating what the impact to you is and give them an opportunity to think about that. You can also encourage those around you, you know, your learners, other faculty, other folks in the department, ancillary staff who may not feel as comfortable. You can encourage them to just express how it makes them feel or ask, you know, how, how do you think it makes people feel when you make a comment like that or when you address somebody in that way? Another thing that you can do is if you're in a situation where you're a little more empowered or maybe you feel more comfortable, um, you can use sort of an interruption tactic where you can interrupt the conversation and say something like, hold on, just want to ask what you meant by that comment or can you kind of explain the background behind that a little bit? What about my name badge made you think that I was a janitor? No, is that not... Uh, no. perhaps I'd approach it as, um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I noticed that, um, perhaps you m mistook me for someone from the janitorial staff. I'm happy to find someone to help you with that, but let me just introduce myself. Right. Exactly. Instead of saying like, Hey Dick, I'm not a janitor. Take care of it yourself. By the way, what do you want to do with that patient? Right. And that gets, the attending. that gets us nowhere. Yeah. No, it does get you somewhere. It usually it, gets you into your chair's office. Yeah, it's not the space. It's not. It's not the space you want to be in. Exactly. Yeah. yeah no, completely agree. So, the next case that, that you brought up in the outline is amazing, and it's one that I've seen happen firsthand. So, what's the next one? Yeah. So I've again, all of these examples are are real life. So this is Sarah. Sarah is also a resident. She's married to another physician who's also a resident. You know, this isn't uncommon that we'll have residents who are, are married to medicine, so to speak. Um, and let's say that her significant other is, is in a, another specialty whose earnings potential will far exceed Sarah's. So during a meeting with one of her supervisors, she gets some interesting feedback. She's told, man... I really hope you don't quit medicine after you graduate just to stay home with the kids. That would be a real waste of your education and training. This is the dumbest. Th I, I don't know where this comes from, but it's literally like one of the things that infuriates me when I see this. Because it just, I don't know. It, it's so frustrating to me, especially with the idea that like, 
people are allowed to do whatever they want. And there is this entitlement in medicine that if you do residency, that you are obligated to this 90-hour-a-week, 30-year career of just getting pummeled. And and we, we have we have a resident in our program and other residents in our program that are female that have had these situations. And it's unfortunate to see. It's very paternalistic. It's very, you know, you should do what I tell you to do kind of a thing. And it's just, just frustrating. So in being a female, I don't imagine – I imagine that you probably empathize with this more than others. I can definitely empathize. And not only just from the fact that I am a woman, I've had a child in medicine, but even looking at um, – prior research and data where women are typically punished in various ways for leaving the workforce to have a child, you know, during the time that they may be out on maternity leave, they're not accomplishing some of the projects that may be getting them promoted. Uh, When they return to work, people often, you know, exclude them from opportunities thinking, oh, she wouldn't want to do that. She's got a kid, so she's busy. So those sorts of aggressions can show up in many different ways. But this sort of workplace microaggression towards females for various reasons, you know, it comes up in different ways. And at the end of the day, that's not legitimate feedback. Um, Especially since this individual actually had no plan of dropping out of the workforce Did she plan on having children? Probably, but, you know, I I don't see why anybody would want to endure medical school, multi-year residency, which is hard, just to drop out. To assume that, it shows a lot of gender bias there. I just imagine this being said to a dude. This would like, never be said well, to no, a dude. I, but I, I just, I, I've tried to like, because this is hard to be, be empathetic because I don't know what it would feel like. I'm looking for a reason to drop out of medicine to stay at home with my kids. <laughs> but, I mean, if somebody said that to me, if my wife had a career where she was making a lot more money than me, and my wife was very successful before, um, before we got married, and she was even after we got married, but I just can't imagine somebody coming to me and even having this be a thought. So the fact that it would be for even a female colleague, who, to be honest, are usually pretty awesome, um, or e- equally awesome or better at, at their jobs. I don't know. This, when I read the scenario, I got like very angry. So I, I appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah, it's yeah. difficult. Yeah. And, and sort of these microaggressions surrounding uh, issues of pregnancy or childcare, um, leadership making assumptions on what a woman may or may not want to be involved in just because they do or do not have children. You know, the same thing goes with a woman who maybe doesn't have children expecting that they will work more, they want to work more, um, or that they're married more to their job because they don't have children. I mean, that's a a microaggression going the other way. So a really interesting uh, study group called the Stanford Project Respect looked at a number of workplace microaggressions and the prevalence. And it's really interesting if you have time um, to take a look. I'm sure you guys will put it in the show notes. But they reported very common microaggressions that women face, and they sort of fell into different areas, one being sexism, you know, sexually inappropriate comments. But there were also a number of women that consistently reported microaggressions relating to pregnancy and childcare, being relegated to mundane tasks, again, being kind of skipped over for, you know, big opportunities, thinking that, you know, oh, they wouldn't want to be involved, um, and feeling excluded. So this is not an uncommon situation that these microaggressions and these biases surrounding 
women, women having children, academic and clinical productivity during times of maternity leave and return to work as being issues. I think one of the things we have to do is it's up to our generation of physicians mm -hmm. to make that change. Because unfortunately, it, it, with our older physicians, it seems to just happen. There's there's a assumption of something else. And so I go out of my way, and I think, Andy, you do too. There's a group of us um, at the hospital where right now where we all have kids roughly the same age, um, one or two females and one or two, three male physicians. And I know whenever something's up, those are the first people I reach out to to adjust my schedule because they get it. And then kind of make it a thing to let it be known that I, I couldn't make it to didactics until conference until 8.30 this morning because I was responsible for my children this morning. Yeah. And that's okay, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And if you need me to cover you next week, I know yeah. my wife doesn't have a meeting in the morning, but if, yeah. but if you need to do childcare, I will cover for you. Mm -hmm. And Nicole, I'll do the same thing for you and you'll do it for me and make it just a conversation where it becomes normal place to know that our families, our children, our obligations outside of work, our gender neutral obligations that we believe in and we support. And that we're all in it together to make it work for each other. Understanding that the emergency medicine schedule is not always conducive for some of those tasks. Yeah. Right. I agree. That goes both ways. And I'm a big proponent of, you know, as women, if we want to be sort of treated equally, that street is a two-way street. Uh, that means that we don't get to glorify or pat you guys on the back for doing normal parent things like taking your kid to school. I remember after we had our first child, my husband would become like outraged at those signs in the parking lot that said like new mothers, expectant mother parking. And he's like, what about What about new grandparents? What about new fathers? Are you saying I can't park here? Is it any easier for me to get the kids into the store than it is for you to get the kids in the store? No, it's not. So Probably it, harder, to be honest. <laughs> but, I will, but I will tell you, I've seen it the, I, like you're talking about. I remember we had, we had baby number four. My wife was at home. I took all four of the kids to, to Target. It was a disaster. But I remember one, I, I went with my wife and I, I followed her in. She had all the kids. And I watched her get passed by dozens of people. Nothing said. Mm -hmm. But I walk in with my four kids and somebody's getting the cart for me and somebody's asking if I need help to find what I'm looking for. And I was just blown away by the fact that this is 2017 and we're still dealing with it's, this 1985 stuff. Yeah. And it's, and it's ridiculous. Well, that's what we need to normalize, yeah. have to normalize gender it, yeah. rules. That there are no gender rules. Yeah. I don't babysit my kids. I'm a dad. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And there are movements in various um, areas of, of corporate life and various companies and institutions that are now saying, we offer paternity leave, but we want you to take it as a way to try to normalize women being lost in maybe the promotion pipeline or kind of losing time when they're on maternity mm -hmm. leave. You know, it's important that dads be at home with their kids, too, if that's what they want to do. So we're offering paternity leave, but we want you to take it because we want to normalize just sort of the idea that new parents can be at home. Both parents can be at home with their child and come back to work and be successful and productive. And dads can do that, too. And that's OK. So this last one, I think this last one's probably the one we can all recognize as probably pretty common. Incredibly common. And it sort of speaks to the the very frequent rants that will often go on of being addressed as, as a nurse. I remember when I was a resident and I would wear my white coat around, I was often 
um, addressed as, oh, you must be the charge nurse because you're wearing a white coat. And so well, this, I am in charge, but I'm not a nurse. But I'm not a nurse. Right. So this case is your department is um, hosting a day of grand rounds. And the speakers for the day's conference are there, and they're, they're introduced as Dr. Kevin Hart, Dr. Sean Connery, Dr. Tom Hanks, and Jennifer. And I'll add that Jennifer is also a doctor. But this is how they're introduced. Today's lineup of, of talented speakers. It, it, it's just not okay. Right? Yeah, and, not, and I don't, I get it. I know the, the numbers support that. I don't understand it. Yeah. I don't understand why. I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. And, and when I was learning this case, I reminded about a year ago, I remember a situation where I saw a patient multiple times, but my female resident saw a patient significantly more. And the patient was concerning that they weren't getting FaceTime with their doctor. And so I literally took the female resident and we went in the room and I said, this is your doctor. This is Dr. So-and-so. No, that's the nurse. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is the doctor. She's the one that makes the decisions. She's the one that's in charge today. I'm here just to say hello and to make sure that she's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And it was this whole, And but I realized that when I introduced them, I said, you were seen by their first name. And then I realized that I was doing that with the guys too, to where now it's, it's only Dr. So-and-so, guy mm-hmm. or girl. That way it reminds me mm-hmm. to not do this. Yeah, Because it, it's, it's very simple because you forget that we have a personal relationship with the person we're working with. Or I'm sure this person has a personal relationship with Jennifer, mm-hmm. but they forgot that in the professional setting, it's doctor. So you're right. The numbers definitely support this. A recent study showed that female speakers were more likely to be introduced by their first name. In fact, this occurred about 17% of the time compared to only 3% of men. And I know in emergency medicine, we have a tendency to be a little more casual. Many docs like to go by their first name. You know, they kind of want to remove that barrier that may be imposed by having patients address them as doctor. But the issue sometimes is that this is a form of priming. So when you introduce your speakers to the audience as Dr. Sean Connery, Dr. Tom Hanks, and Jennifer, you've primed the audience to subconsciously think, okay, I'm going to hear from three very qualified doctors, and Jennifer, whoever Jennifer is. But you've sort of primed the audience to remember that some of those folks are physicians and the other one maybe is not. You know, we're not sure. And I like what you're doing when you're introducing your residents as doctor so-and-so because you're priming the patient to think, oh, okay, yeah, that's my doctor, instead of just Jennifer. Yeah. I try very hard in, in the situation's bedside with residents, female or male, to absolutely refer to them as doctor and then actually go a step further, which is to not introduce myself as the supervising doctor. Say, hey, I'm Dr. Kelno and we work together. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be in here for, for a few minutes and then if you need anything, let me know. I'll come back. And as opposed to putting a hierarchy in. Now, if I need to come back in and say, no, I am the supervising doctor. This is the decision we're making. It's on me, not yeah. them. I'm happy to play that role. But I don't want to take away that relationship that they're establishing with the patient. And oftentimes I, I'm in the room with, with the resident. And it's particularly important to do that with the female so that they can maintain their respect from the patient and not derail that conversation uh, in the midst. And then also feel empowered that their decisions matter and that their interactions with the patient are important. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Now, uh, I'm not in a position where I'm introducing that many people to ground rounds or uh, national conferences. I'm not in that role. So I can just do my part bedside and I can do my part in our weekly conferences yeah. and then hope that, that culturally we can continue that momentum and transition into appropriate introductions on a national stage. Or we just all go to a more casual first name introduction. But the important thing is that we're all on a, the, a level playing field. Mm-hmm. You don't get to introduce one person one way and the next a different mm-hmm. because that that's where the problem is. Yeah. A situation where you unintentionally are priming other people to think about... To have biases. To have biases and think about the people you're introducing or, or speaking with differently. I think these are three great cases to really illustrate the point of how microaggression can cause such a larger problem and how there are so many episodes and examples of microaggression in our daily medical lives and probably in our personal lives too. Any closing thoughts on how to recognize and work towards cleaning life away from some of these microaggressions? I think the biggest way to combat these microaggressions and make progress is to continue to build awareness. So everybody should feel empowered if they experience these microaggressions to try to address it with the person. Again, we discussed various open-ended questions that you can ask to kind of just bring awareness to the other person and get some clarity. But I think, too, we should feel empowered to stick up for each other. And if we see some of these situations occurring, this is happening to our residents or our colleagues that we feel empowered to stick up for them and also use some of those open-ended questions or prompting questions to just bring awareness to the fact that it's going on. I think the more that we do this, and if, you know, if I'm doing this, I would like for somebody to check me, right, so that I can be aware of when I'm doing it and be more conscious. I think this is an easy way that we can start to make progress. Let's be a good community and and watch out for each other and make sure we take care of what we're doing and what we're saying, knowing that it has an absolute impact on others. And I think at the end of the day, if you realize this as you've done this, own up to it, try to attempt to do better and know that people will give you a second chance. Yeah. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's Nobody's perfect. perfect. But what's important is that you're trying, right? And I have, there's a quote by Maya Angelou that I love, and I know it's super corny to like quote people and say that you have a favorite quote, but the quote is, you do the best you can with what you know, and then when you know better, you do better. Yeah. That's perfect. Boom. Boom. Nicole, the original Bat Doc. I am Bat Doc. Thank you so much for joining us again on EM Over Easy. A pleasure having you on our episodes as always. You bring such great information to us and let us hopefully make the world of medicine a little bit better place always a pleasure with you guys thank you for those listening don't forget to follow us on our social media pages facebook twitter and instagram and again go to emovereasy.com our blog site to check out what's happening with the em over easy crew hey baby i hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs mercy and maybe i seem a bit confused yeah maybe but i got you pegged But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Has anybody ever told you that you look like Kelsey Grammer? Scrambled eggs all over my face. Is is bizarre beyond belief. But amazing, by the way. No, no, no. I was at a bar for a college alumni function just a week ago, and some random person 
that happened to also be at this bar not attending the event looked at me and said, has anyone ever told you you look like Kelsey Grammer? So now twice in a two-week period, I have heard this. And like it really didn't, I don't know why, it was something about the lighting and the shirt and maybe it's... The way the light comes off his forehead. Is your beard different than it normally is? No, it's just more gray. Yeah, he's getting more gray. It's really screaming Kelsey Grammer to me. Yeah. All right. What's worst baseball to be like? Yeah. Doppelganger. Doppelganger. Yeah. 